Good morning, IS Teens. Uh, so good to have all of you guys back here at IS Teens Online. Today, we have something extremely special for all of you. We are having the talk, and we will be talking about sex here at IS Teens. I know it's something super taboo, and not a lot of churches talk about it, but IS Teens is a safe place, and God is not afraid of our questions, so we'll be addressing some of this stuff here today. I will not be talking alone. Praise the Lord. Uh, I will be joined by uh, Pastor Mike. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Uh, you guys might remember, uh, remember Pastor Mike was here just last week. Uh, and you know, the funny thing is, I think I wore the same shirt. <laughs> That's okay, people. But you that was a week ago. Shirt. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, Sister Shelly. Hello. Hi. Welcome. And Pastor Dave. So, yeah, be, before we go into though, uh, does anybody want to say anything? Or do, do any opening remarks by anyone? Of you? I do. Okay, all right, I think that there's going to be something that will be referred to a lot uh, as a reference point that it's really important for us to get as we understand, okay? This is really important for you to know. God invented sex. Okay. So God created humans. There's a lot of different things he could have done different. Reproductive, re, the reproductive system, the way human beings reproduce, the issues of uh, hormones, uh, how all of this happens, uh, he invented it this way. Uh, he, he's not surprised by anything. He's not surprised by the potential for anything. And in fact, we, what we find is that he actually had a purpose for it. And the purpose for sex is for a man and a woman who are going to be husband and wife to make them be very close to each other. It is the glue and the attractional quality that brings two people together and causes them to be committed to each other in a marriage. It's not the only issue. There are many, many other issues involved. But you need to understand why sex was invented by God. Because most of these questions are actually going to refer to this. And the answers will, you'll, you'll have a place where you can figure this out for yourself. We're going to help you. But you'll have a place if you just think, all right, well, wait a minute. Is this why God invented sex? And sometimes you'll go, of course not. And sometimes you'll go, oh, yeah, okay, I kind of get it. So think of that first. And as we go through these questions, we don't have to bring this up and say, well, remember, da, 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 da. Okay? Got it. Any other opening remarks? We good? We're good. We're good. All right. So you guys have submitted your questions. They submitted their questions to Slido. And actually, so one of the questions is, should Christians exempt from unnecessarily talking about sex at all? So should Christians even be talking about sex? But obviously, we're here at IST today talking about sex. So I hope that answers the question. Um, <laughs> right? I, but I have, a, I have an answer for that. You'll, okay. under, you'll see that I have an answer for everything. Okay. okay. So I, I, I talk with a lot of guys that are men, and, and, and a lot of times they don't know who I am or what I am. And so I'll be in a group of guys just having coffee somewhere, something like this, and somebody tells, uh, tells a dirty joke, and everybody laughs, and somebody else tells a dirty joke, and they talk about sexual acts and they use different kind of words and everybody laughs and everybody's really comfortable. It's like the only place that we don't talk about sex is in the church. Now, the reality is, is we're the people who know what sex is really all about. And we're the people who know the guy who invented it. So we're not afraid of, of biological words. We're not afraid of, of, of descriptions. And we certainly don't need to be ashamed to talk about it. So uh, one of the questions that you're going to run into today is, is about masturbation. Yeah. Right. So when I do live Q&A, I get questions about masturbation. People joke about it all the time. You've all heard jokes about it, right? And then I, I, I stand up in front of the church and I talk about it. And a guy comes up to me afterwards and says, 
I've never heard a church where they use the M word before. You know, it's like, <laughs> you've never been to IES before, right? Okay. So, so yes, we're Christians. We understand why sex, for whose sex, what about sex. We know all the, the right answers. And so, yeah, we, we need to talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, and we'll definitely go into some of those questions later about masturbations. And there's some really, really interesting questions. But apart from the fact you mentioned earlier that God actually created sex. And, um, one of the questions is, what is the biblical foundation of sex as a Christian? Uh, would any one of you care to dive in a little bit deeper on what is the biblical foundation of sex as a Christian? You know, I, from, from my perspective, if, if you look at the whole Adam and Eve story, so he, God puts them in the garden. He's got this beautiful place. What's the unique thing about them? Oh, they're not wearing any clothes. <laughs> and he says, it is good. So you've got this couple, man and woman, in a garden, naked. And that's good. Sin comes later. So, so God had a plan for sex. We, we, we assume that if they're naked and they're in the garden, they're probably having sex. And that was something that God said, what? It is Good. good. So from the very beginning, God's plan for sex was good. Sin is what came in and messed things up. Yeah. So, you know, the, the foundation is really what BD described. And it's really not what our society and culture, particularly media and, and stuff, has, has projected it to be. And in, in our experience in, in long ministry with people, is most people come into marriage confused about sex and have to spend the rest of their married life recovering from their confusion because they listened to the world and they didn't understand it from that godly perspective that it is good in the context of this man and this woman in the garden together just for one another. Anybody else? Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Very good. Very good. All right. Let's go to the next question. Uh, this question says, my school refuses to do sex ed as it goes against the Christian values, which makes no sense in my opinion. If you will, kindly explain why sex ed is so important and why it does not necessarily encourage premarital sex. I think many people need to be aware of sexual assaults. All right. So you want me to go first? Okay, basic part of the issue here is that sex is biological. And biology is one of the things they teach in school. So the school has a responsibility to teach it. Now, the problem that occurs sometimes is that schools don't just teach biology, but they also teach, uh, they try and teach value or attach value. And I think the balance needs to be where the school teaches things, but leaves it to the parents to attach value. However... A Christian school can attach value. Those are godly values. God invented sex, right? So for a Christian school to say, oh, we're not going to talk about it because it's like, well, let's not talk about love and forgiveness either because it's like too personal. So it's really actually very good. Now, the other thing is this is statistically true. Where young people are ignorant sexually, where they don't know what are the issues involved in sexual experimentation, there's a lot more problems. A lot more pregnancy, a lot more venereal disease, a lot more uh, distortion, 
lot more suicide. All those things are true. So, so if the idea that if you teach your students about sex, they might do something wrong, uh, your students are going to learn about sex. They're probably not going to learn it from their parents. And if the school doesn't teach it, they'll learn it from their classmates. That's really dangerous. So a Christian school should teach the sexual biology and Christian values about sex. But it's so controversial that for a lot of people, it's just easier to not do it. And that's tragic. Yeah, I agree. Because like they should be getting it from a good source and not just, I think, their friends or people who are still trying to figure it out themselves. Because mm -hmm. I feel like, especially as teenagers, we're all a bit confused during those times trying to figure yeah. ourselves out, trying to figure things out. I think um, my story is actually pretty good here in that uh, as a kid, uh, my, my sister and I would ride with my mom hither and yon around town doing whatever kids do when they're following their parents to the grocery store, whatever. My sister would always engage in all kinds of questions. And my mom finally got to the point where, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't not answer the question about where did these babies come from. <laughs> and so we had a long ride ahead of us in the car. And so my mom was there, my sister who was seven, and I was four and a half, five. My mom just kind of unfolded for us in an appropriate way what sex was and, and where babies came from. And I would say that it was really beneficial for me. Now, a lot of my friends in a secular school didn't hear from their parents until we had sex ed in fourth grade. Um, it's been said that maybe I told too much to some of my friends along the way. But uh, interesting, I, in that context, I thought it was very beneficial for me. I knew what sex was. I actually have someone that was in a church where I pastored who was told as a young man that his girlfriend was pregnant. And the problem is... He didn't realize that she couldn't be pregnant from him. And they were married. And there was lots of struggles and problems related to that. And I think that person's church failed them by not having the conversation as parents failed them by not having the conversation as well. Um, going back to the school question, you know, my, my, my ears kind of light up when it comes to school. But the Offering or not offering uh, sexual education is, is part of a school organization's curriculum, right? So every school is governed by their mission statement, their core values, their philosophy, when they make those curricular decisions. And sexual education is just part of this big conversation where they talk about the other academic areas. Um, so to whoever asked this question it's a great question so it, it sounds like you feel very strongly about having sexual education in your school so talk to a teacher talk to an administrator and they would love to hear the feedback of a student and what what your your voice um, is gonna is gonna represent I think a lot of your peers that say we need sexual education and and for me you know I I went to school that we did not, we, you know, we, 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 it, it's not called sexual education. We never use that term because, you know, I, I went to high school a long time ago. <laughs> um, but um, it's covered, it, you know, in, so, sometimes it's called sexual education now. And sometimes it's in that big category of health. And, mm -hmm. and, and it is, it, it can be, it's, there's a, 
um, emotional, physical, um, and then there's also the health aspect of sexual education. So, whoever asks this question, talk to your teacher. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Wearing more revealing clothes is often regarded as provocative. What if it's just a form of self-expression and makes you more confident? All right, I, I have a story and it's about my dad, okay? So I, I told you I was a kid a long time ago. So one time I was dressed, I was just going outside to play and I was dressed in a pair of shorts and not very short and I was wearing, because it's, it's hot, it's a summer day, it's hot. So I went down and had a um, sleeveless shirt. And so my dad said, you know, you don't go down, you go back up, you change your shirt. Okay. Because um, I can see your armpits, right? And so talk about the change of, of um, tastes and, and um, what my dad saw as inappropriate and, and I didn't see as uh, any as problematic but um going back to the question just a funny story okay it wasn't funny then but now it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so wearing more revealing clothes is often regarded as provocative what if it's just a form of self-expression um so i think clothing is a tool that we use right and um we use it to look good you know i i um i choose clothes every day i, I choose good clothes so that can help me work well and maybe to impress someone to show off so um when you're wearing more revealing clothing as, some, as something that you described as provocative and you say it's self-expression so what message are you trying to express so think about that i i, I your your question is it, it makes me think that you've really thought about clothing. It's, it's something that you've been reflecting on. So I think confidence and self-esteem are very important as a teenager. Teenager. So when, where, where we base it on, where we base our confidence and self-esteem is something that it's an issue that you have to figure out. So God says that he created you. He created me in his image and likeness. And that should make us feel good about who we are and not what we put on externally. So when we base our confidence and self-esteem on things like clothing, which can be trendy, you know, fashion um, trends change so often. And then, so this week, this is like the cool thing. And then the next week, it's gonna be outdated. If, if, if clothing is something that gives you confidence, it's gonna be shaky. So what I would encourage you is to, if you're thinking about building self-confidence, think of basing it on something that's, that doesn't change. Mm -hmm. You know, think of um, how God created you in his image. Something, base, base your confidence on something that's true. God loves you. It's something that's unchangeable, not trendy, that God sees you as worthy. Then we will most likely have the level of confidence that we need. Thank you for that. Awesome. Okay, a quick one. Is kissing a sin? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she won't let me do it on camera. But, you know. No. 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 The Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. That's true. Yeah. Right? And, what, and don't you kiss your grandma? I don't know. Maybe you don't, but I, you know, I always had to kiss my grandma. <laughs> I wish it would have been a sin sometimes. <laughs> 
Okay. All right. I'm going to tie these next questions uh, together a bit. So what is your understanding on Matthew 5.28? For it says that whoever looks at a woman has already committed adultery. Then there's this other question that was submitted that says, what do you think about sexualizing a person like celebrities or fictional characters? Example, I want Chris Evan to rail me. New word, new term. New word, yeah, yeah. rail me. <laughs> but I've been to Nordstrom, so I know what the brass rail is. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll take a shot at this first. Okay. okay. Now what you need to understand, let's, let's talk about the Matthew 5, because it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there's a whole bunch of things. And let's understand the purpose of that text first. The purpose of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is to tell people, you think there's a bunch of rules, and if you obey these rules, then you're good enough. And so the rule said you, you're not supposed to commit adultery, and you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife. And so what they ended up doing with that was that they didn't covet their neighbor's wife, but if she wasn't anybody's wife, they could covet her, and they could get rid of their wife, not commit adultery, trade in, get a new wife every five years, and just get you know just always be marrying a 15-year-old girl even when they're 40 years old, right? And, and that's just ugly. It's just really bad. And what Jesus is saying there is this. Look, when your purpose of viewing a person is lust, then you're already committing adultery, right? It's not an issue of the consequence. The consequence of adultery and fornication, sexual sin, can be enormous. It always is big, but it can be enormous. Now, if there's somebody who's looking at another person and fantasizing about, this is what that verse is really talking about. It's not just like, oh man, you know. But um, the consequences of that on the other person and maybe on the community is not necessarily as big. However, the consequences for the person who's doing the thinking is, can be very, very big. And the point of it is your behavior of saying, all right, I won't go that far, mm. right? I'm not committing adultery, so I'm not having sexual activity with a person that I'm not married to. I'm married to somebody, I'm married to A and I'm having sexual activity with B. So I'm not doing that. So everything I'm doing is okay. And actually, and that's what Jesus is saying. No, no, no. Sexual activity outside of marriage is wrong. Mm. And no matter what sexual activity you're doing, it's wrong because it's not what it's intended to be, which by the way, will answer a whole lot of those other questions. Yeah. yeah. Anybody? Care to chime into that, or is that good? Does that answer everybody's question? Well, you know, PD said something that made me think of the previous question about the evocative clothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we talk about provocative clothing, I'm sure we're not talking about any guy. Yeah. Well, I better button up my shirt. <laughs> um, but he, he, he talked about he talked about he talked about 50 year old men marrying 15 year old girls, mm -hmm. and I, and I thought about it. Because one of the things that I talk to dads about sometimes is, you know, how to limit your daughter's dress. And what I tell them is, if your daughter is out wearing an outfit and you see your friend checking her out, how gross will that be? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's really And I, I will tell you, guys are visual. Yeah, that's right. And we're all born with it. A godly man will look you in the eye. That doesn't mean his brain isn't telling him to check out the rest of the package. It's just mean he's trying to overcome that. It's, it's a guy thing.
to check out the full package. That's really good, Pete Mike, about and, your friend. That's and 50-year-old men, do you want someone my age checking out your full package? I think that's kind of gross myself. Yeah. But I guarantee if you're wearing provocative clothing and you walk into a room and there's 20, 50-year-old guys there, at least 18 of them will be checking out the whole package. When you walk by from the back, when you, you know. So what do you want people and who do you want looking at you? Maybe it's better to have people check you out in a different way than to check you out visually thinking about sex. That's good. That's good. Another question we have this uh, Pastor Dave mentioned this at the beginning. What is your opinion on masturbation? People think it's okay to masturbate rather than having sex before marriage. All right. So let me jump in here. Like, what did we say? What's the purpose of marriage? Mm-hmm. marriage? What's the purpose of sex? Sex was created by God to have a man and a woman who are married to each other, to be closer to each other in that relationship stuck together and I mean stuck like glue not like stuck with a person that it, it leads them to want to be together it's this really powerful force okay that's what marriage is for therefore any use of sex outside of marriage is wrong alright and we did talk about the difference in consequences alright but but you know you, you talk about the bible talks about adultery two people who are not married to each other having sex you're married to somebody else. That's wrong. It's not only, by the way, it's not only sexually wrong, it's morally wrong, it's ethically wrong. You made a promise. And uh, if you're lying to your uh, person you're married to, you're also lying to God. Because you promised God, you promised your community. Okay, a person who's married, having a sexual relationship with somebody who's not married, that's wrong. That's called fornication. It's wrong in the Bible. All right, it's wrong for the one who is married and it's wrong for the one who's not married. No excuse for it. Then two people who are not married, that are having sex with each other, that's called fornication. It's wrong. Uh, It's not a violation of marriage vows, but I promise those people that they will carry those things with them into their marriage. Eventually, you marry a person and everyone they ever slept with. So keep that in mind. And then we have uh, sex that is uh, inappropriate because it's between different genders. Mm Now, it's not that God doesn't get it. I know this is really controversial. There's a bunch of questions. There's a question, why is homosexuality a sin? Okay, this is the answer to that as well. Uh, God's plan was that a man and a woman are married to each other. Uh, If you want to talk about marriage in the modern era where it can be the same gender, we can have that discussion another time. But this discussion says it was created for a man and a woman to be so close that they will be together. Um, It will keep them together. And if it's happening outside of that, then it's wrong. Now, the, the problem with masturbation is this. Number one, it very, very often has to do with a fantasy life. Uh, it's interesting to note that uh, 50, 50 years ago, so when I was a teenager, uh, men had a problem with pornography and women didn't. Yeah. And now women have as much problem with pornography yeah. as men do. That's not biology. That's mental imagery. Yeah. yeah. So the problem with masturbation is not that that it's somehow bad. The, the fantasy area is dangerous. You carry those fantasies with you. Yeah. But the other issue is this. God gave you this amazing gift and you're using it for something it's not intended for. Yeah. And when you do that, it's a waste. Yeah. It's something that harms you. 
And it does create, especially, uh, you know, my wife and I, when we started doing marriage counseling, we discovered a fair number of people that we did marriage counseling for use pornography as a part of their sex life. And that's wrong. It's a really bad idea. And the reason is, is because you're committing adultery. There's somebody else in there with you. And so I know that, I know that this sounds really rather clinical uh, and really rather maybe old-fashioned. But what I want everybody to understand is the, the sexual rules and mores of the Mediterranean culture during the first century were absolutely as, as liberal as they are today. Everything that happens today happened then. Uh, a man had a wife, he had mistresses, he had concubines, and he had slaves. And if he had a sexual urge and a slave walked by, he could grab that slave and have sex with him, male or female. Nobody thought anything about it. And the church said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to allow that. That's not what God planned. And it's time for the church to say the same kind of thing in our modern world. I, I, I always tell the teens, like, passion needs parameter. You know, it's yeah. like, like, fire can be a good thing, but it can also be mm -hmm. extremely harmful mm -hmm. and, and it can cause a lot of harm. Uh, and I like also about the fantasizing, I think it addresses one of the other questions about your thoughts on reading sex-related stuff, like fan fiction. Um, we are running out of time, but I still want to go through a couple of these questions. Um, Casual sex is very common in uni life in Western uh, countries. How can I make friends but make sure that I don't end up following them? Um, Dr. Joe Cassaberry came and spoke at Northwest a number of years ago. Uh, Joe, you know, he went to Princeton, he went to Columbia, Ivy League, and he recommends that parents send their kids to a Christian school. And they ask, well, what about, are they going to lose, you know, are they going to lose, like, faith and everything else because they're going to be challenged, uh, da, da, da. He said, no. Christian kids don't lose their faith in the university because they learn things that they take them by surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, like, it's not like, it's not true that they're somebody who goes to, you know, a, a Christian school in Jakarta is going to walk on campus and discover evolution and lose their faith. Yeah. Where they lose their faith is, a, you know, the first night when they're in the dorm and everybody says, let's go get wasted. And then there's, there's men or girls or wherever they happen to end up with. And peer pressure causes them to lose their values. Mm -hmm. That's a really important issue. So when you go to university, find Christians, mm -hmm. make decisions, make standards, yeah. and live by those standards. Yeah. You know? If your university doesn't enforce the same kind of standards as you want, then you, you enforce it with your own boundaries. Um, you know, if you have a room, an apartment, you make a decision. I'm not bringing any one of the opposite sex to my room or to my apartment in the evening and or any circumstance where things can get out of hand. Because they can get out of hand really, 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 really quickly. Yeah, yeah and set, set those rules ahead of time. Be yeah. prepared. Yeah. And, and when, when you go to university, be, um, be picky. Yeah. Be picky. It's okay. And, and, and if, you know, we, we, we always tell our kids, walk away. There is power in walking away. Yeah. If you sense there's something wrong, and, and it's not, you know, there, you know, that's the Holy Spirit speaking in, in your heart. Walk away. Yeah. No questions asked. You know, things like that. But I think um, thinking about it ahead of time, having a plan, yeah. and, and knowing if this happens, this is what I'm going to do, and stick to it. Uh, for me, the thought about going to university, wherever you go, you're going with an objective. Mm -hmm. But your objective can't just be academic. Yeah. 
Your, jet, your objective needs to be life objective. You have a plan not just to achieve in school, but to also grow in maturity, to grow spiritually, to connect with God and see what he would have you to do in life. And have a strategy. You have a strategy usually when you enter school, what classes you're going to take for the next X number of years. You also need to have a life strategy of, I am looking forward to meeting all these people, but there are boundaries. There are things I'm going to do. And what you think of ahead of time will prepare you. And the other thing, I, I, I've told teens this forever. If you're in a relationship with someone, know this. You will go past your boundaries. So be conservative in your boundaries. Because really you will smart, have yeah. a moment where you go, whoa, we got to stop. Yeah. And, and you need to make sure that the person you're with, their boundaries are appropriate to your boundaries. Otherwise, you got no I agree. I think I, I also like having those boundaries in place. I think that oftentimes uh, teens approach in a sense of like, oh, we'll go as far as we're comfortable. <laughs> that's like the worst. That's the worst thing. That the Let me tell you, when you're exactly. together, you're comfortable. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, like if you're thinking, have I crossed the line? You've probably already that's crossed right. the line. That's you right. know, if you're, if you're asking yourself that question. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, if I can throw one more thing out, this is really, really good. And, and I, I want everybody to understand this. God loves you and God has a plan and purpose for your life. And you have to ask yourself, is the behavior that I am thinking about doing or planning on doing, does it fit in with what God wants me to be? Does it fit in with how God wants to use me in the future? And that will give you a level of comfort. And like P. Mike said, very conservative boundaries are a really good thing. Maybe I should say this. You are going to want to have sex with somebody. And it's going to be before you get married. Mm -hmm. And you need to make decisions to prepare so that you can bring yourself to the place to not let it happen. That's right. I love that. Well, thank you so much, uh, P. Mike, Sister Shelley, PD, for being here. And spreading so much wisdom. I feel like one talk is not enough. Uh, but <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> You'll be back, yes. Um, Sister Chelly, do you mind closing us in a word of prayer? Yes, yes. Thank you, uh, Pastor Josh, for inviting us here. And um, we are thankful for the teens at IES, and we know that you will uh, do great things for God. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to talk about things that are awkward, but things that are, are in our hearts to ask, to question, to reflect on, to even battle with. But Lord, you are the God of peace and you are the God of wisdom. Lord, we pray for all the teens that are watching and being uh, with us this morning. I pray, God, that you will continue to give um, guidance and instruction as they grow, as they learn a lot more in school and as they go to university i pray that you will continue to work in their lives that they will grow to be the kind of people that you have created them to be to be uh, changers of uh, the world around them or the people that can cause um, uh, lives to be turned towards you i pray lord god that you will continue to empower us all to live for you to honor you with everything that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for tuning in. <laughs>